Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston, and I'm by myself today. Completely, completely by myself, except for everyone that is hanging out with me in the live group right now. Thanks for coming and hanging out, everyone. By the way, they're doing that because they went to goodmorningliberty.locals.com and everyone's chipping in at least five bucks a month so they can hang out in the live chat. And really, they just direct the whole show. They they change the direction of the show all the time. The show is really dictated by what it is that they want to talk about while we're going. So if you would like a part in that then hey, go on over there. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about inflation. And specifically, we're going to get on to the meatflation that's going on right now and how it pertains to the government and their, them talking about capitalism, of course, and corporate greed, all of these things going on. Because when you throw trillions of dollars into an economy, when prices go up, it's because of corporate greed. That's, of course, what we know about everything. Well, the White House is out there saying that that is the case because they don't want to be blamed for what is happening. That makes sense. You know, they don't they don't want to be blamed. I mean, I can't blame them for not wanting to be blamed. But Jen Psaki was asked about this and she had a very interesting response. So we're going to be playing that here in just a second. But what we have to ask ourselves when it comes to these prices going up, how is it that all the free market people All the people that think that uh, we should be free to make our own decisions, make voluntary transactions with people, the Federal Reserve shouldn't be printing all this money, the government shouldn't be printing money and taxing money and throwing it into the economy like this because it's going to cause prices to go up, it's going to cause inflation. How is it that we are so right so often and the people that are creating all of this money and creating all these programs, they seem to think that they're just going to create all of this and then nothing bad is going to happen to it, happen to us at all. Nothing's going to come from it that is bad. We're just going to put this money into the economy and it's all going to be fine. How often are they wrong about this? And we've already talked about this several times. We've been talking about it over the last couple of years, especially that this was going to cause inflation. Just a a couple guys out here, myself and Charlie, we come out here on this podcast and we say, when they put all this money in, we're going to see some crazy inflation. And the people that are putting the money in, they say, oh, everything's going to be fine. It's not going to cause any problems. And then when it does happen, do they blame their policies that they had? No, they blame the corporations. Now, people are greedy. We'll talk about that here in just a second. But... What is it specifically that has changed things here in the last year or so? I think it's all the money that they're putting in the stuff. So Jen Psaki was asked about this. Let's get her response real quick. Go ahead. Um, There are several progressive groups and lawmakers who are um, increasingly vocalizing the idea that inflation, high inflation, is being driven by corporate greed, uh, including uh, companies with high profits, some of whom have met at the White House with the president uh, in recent months. Um, Does the president endorse that idea? Does he think that corporate greed is the big driver of inflation right now? I think that the president thinks the way people across the country, American families, uh, digest inflation is by price increases. And if you look at industry to industry, it's a little different. So, for example, the president, the secretary of agriculture have both spoken to what we've seen as the greed of meat conglomerates. That is an area when where people go to the grocery store and they're trying to buy a pound of meat, two pounds of meat, 10 pounds of meat. Um, it is the prices are higher. 
That is in his view uh, and the view of our Secretary of Agriculture because of, you could call it corporate greed, sure. You could call it uh, jacking up prices uh, uh, it, during a pandemic. Uh, there are other areas where we've seen increases uh, as, because of supply chain issues, and we're seeing those increases around the world as it relates to gas prices, uh, oil supply, and things along those lines. So I would say there's some areas uh, where we have seen uh, corporations uh, benefit, profit from the pandemic, uh, and uh, and certainly the president would agree with that component. I, I don't know the full context of all of their remarks. Okay. So that's enough right there. Now she does mention that there are, sure, there's some supply chain problems in some industries, but when it comes to the meatpacking industry, apparently that doesn't apply at all, even though they've been one of the industries hardest hit by this. A lot of them temporarily shut down. Some of the smaller ones permanently shut down. Been a lot of problems, okay, when it comes down to the suppliers, the farmers, the ranchers. Uh, there's been issues on that side. How do you feed your cows? Well, you get them, you fatten them up with corn. The price of corn's gone up 60% since this whole thing has started. So, yeah, there's a lot of issues happening right now, but it's clearly obvious that it's not just corporate greed, all right? Because corporate greed always exists. Greed is always here. We're always dealing with greed. In fact, places like uh, people like Tyson Foods, who a lot of people have been calling out, have always been greedy, and they've always been charging what they could get for their products. All right? That is part of the market. The suppliers, the people selling things, they are trying to sell things for the most amount of money they can get for it and balance out how many people will be buying those products and reach that equilibrium where they're selling the most amount of things for the highest prices that they possibly can. All right, All kinds of places do this. In fact, all of them do. Even when prices are going down, they are being as greedy, quote unquote greedy, as they can possibly be at that time. So what has actually changed during this? What's actually changed is the government's response to the pandemic has restricted the supply of the goods. And then at the same time, they have artificially increased the demand for those goods. And not just by giving people a lot of money, uh, that came from money printing and taxation, not just by putting more demand into the pockets of people. Uh, it's through other things like going out to less restaurants, cooking at home more often, things like that, that, that grocery stores are having a hard time keeping up. So there's a lot of stuff going on, and we're going to go into a bunch of it today to figure out what exactly this is. This is important because what we're really having a conversation here well, uh, about is is meat okay we're talking about meat what we're really talking about is the market we're talking about the free market we're talking about capitalism and of course everyone is constantly going to blame greed when prices go up when we have a uh capitalist market if that's what we want to call it we know that we have more of a corporatist market the meat market i like that yeah that's a that's a good one the meat market Thanks, Jeff. All right. So I, first off, we're going to start with a, a piece here from The Atlantic that David Frum wrote, and I have to hand it to him. This is in The Atlantic. Normally, this would be heavily slanted, left, woke, anti-capitalism BS that you would be hearing from The Atlantic. But he did something interesting that I shouldn't have to thank him for doing, uh, but I will. 
uh, covering both sides of the argument. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Covering both sides of the argument in this, in this piece right here. So he says, grocery prices are rising. Meat prices are rising more than most other grocery prices. Beef prices are rising more than most other meat prices. But on the ranch, these are not prosperous times. Even as, even as ground chuck costs more than $5 a pound at Walmart, ranchers complain that they are receiving less for their animals than it costs to feed them. They, they also point out, uh, I believe it was one of the, the big producers pointed out that they ended up having too many cows. They, they needed to buy less cows and you ended up having ranchers that just had too many. And so when they shut down, they stopped buying. They're, they're also offering less for that. They're not able to sell all of them. This is causing issues for the ranchers as well. And then, of course, prices to feed them, like we mentioned earlier. Those are going up also. All right. So it says... On September 8th, the White House unveiled an analysis of the problem and an ambitious plan for action, $500 million in loan guarantees to smaller and regional beef processors. $500 million. That's what they're going to do. So there is a problem that is created from the government's response to a pandemic and us putting a bunch of money into the economy. And here's a solution for the problem. We're going to put $500 million into it. There we go. Now we're going to solve the problem. This means they have no idea what actually happened. But anyway, he continues on. There is some funny stuff in here. He says market regulation went out of style in the 1970s. Yes, that's, that is correct. He says that we haven't been regulating the market since the 1970s. That's just not a cool thing to do anymore. As academic critics such as Robert Bork said, if a supermarket gains market share from its mom and pop competitors by offering a wider selection at lower prices, you can understand why mom and pop don't like it. But how is it pro-competition if the government intervenes to protect mom and pop from competitors who are doing a better job of meeting customer needs? We've talked about this a lot before. What is best for all of the customers is that they get the best products for the lowest prices. That way they can use their dollars more efficiently in other places. So sometimes you might have a mom and pop shop that we all feel for, we want them to do well, we want their business to do well, of course we do. Okay, but sometimes they sell things for much higher prices because they're not as efficient as the big companies are. And what the administration is basically doing here is they're putting this $500 million into trying to help smaller producers come into the market. Those producers are going to be less efficient and they're going to have to charge higher prices. We'll get into that here in a second. That argument prevailed for most of the past half century. The Biden administration is seeking to change course. So he says there are two warring explanations of what's going on. Here's the first one. This is one that we would probably agree with more so. COVID closed many processing plants. That's why we don't like COVID. It came in, COVID came in here, and the first thing they did was they gained power over us at the barrel of a gun, and then they went up to all the processing plants, and they closed all of them. And that's been one of the biggest problems from COVID, Tom said, was COVID driving an SUV. Oh, man. Now, Omicron, now that's a real scary one right there. And you know that he's going to have an easier time closing. Okay, the joke here, obviously, COVID didn't close the plants. The government's closed the plants. The government's response to this is what is actually causing the problem. Then when the plants reopened, 
They had to work less efficiently with workers spaced farther apart from one another. Meat packers have had difficulty hiring enough labor at pre-pandemic wages, so they've had to pay more, which raises their costs. Drought has also pushed the price of cattle feed to dizzying heights, raising beef prices even higher. The feed crisis explains some of the woes of small ranchers. If the feed costs more, the rancher earns less. Throughout the coronavirus pandemic, the government has pumped enormous purchasing power into consumers' wallets. This extra money, plus consumer cutbacks on other kinds of spending, has enabled consumers to increase their spending at the grocery store. This is, uh, I'll stop right here and say, this is at the beginning of the article from The Atlantic. I'm so surprised that when they explain, they put two explanations out there, that they started with this one, which explains most of the problem, almost all of the problem, and the only part of the problem that we could do anything about, actually. If the supply and demand explanation is correct, then the right policy for government is to do nothing. Higher prices will will encourage ranchers to raise more cattle. Higher prices will enable meat packers to pay higher wages. Higher prices will induce consumers to substitute other foods for beef. Supply and demand will equilibrate. I can't talk right now. Anyway, as they always do. Now, once again, I can't believe that he actually put this at the beginning. But here's the other story. And this is what the Biden administration is saying. Meatpacking is becoming a more concentrated industry. Just four companies process more than 80% of America's beef. Even as prices moved down in the early 2010s and up again in the early 2020s, the big four packers have been able first to increase, then to maintain their level of profitability. In less concentrated food industries, notably eggs, prices did not rise nearly as much from 2020-2021 as did the prices of meat and especially beef. I don't know that eggs are a really great example right there because the uh, production is a little bit different. You see these people in the the meat packing facilities uh, having to do all the things that they do to the animals that are really gross that we don't want to watch. Yeah, you don't have to do that with eggs. By the way, you just collect the eggs. You kind of wash them off a little bit put them in a carton, and then that's about it. So just a little a little different. So this picture they're trying to paint right now is that we have monopolies. Four of them. We have four monopolies, which I love. As Elizabeth Warren literally was out there talking about the meatpacking monopolies. And I don't know if she'll get it. I don't know if everyone else is going to get it. But monopolies... It's a plural form of something that means one. I don't really have to explain it any more past that. The Biden administration wants to act to multiply competition in the meatpacking industry. It proposes $500 million in loan guarantees and direct subsidies to support smaller players against the big four. It hopes that more competition will raise the prices that packers pay to ranchers and cut the prices consumers pay at the store. So the thing they just said that they think is going to help the ranchers, first off, is that they're going to give these this $500 million subsidy to these smaller people and that they're going to be able to pay higher prices to the ranchers. This is actually going to have an inflationary pressure on the entire market. It's not just going to affect them because then that's going to mess with the market price for what ranchers can get from their cattle. And they will also start expecting that 
from all of the other producers as well. This would actually raise the prices for everyone, not just for those specific suppliers and producers. This would actually do it for everyone. We see this with a lot of different things that the government puts stimulus money into or uh, any type of subsidy into. It might just be one thing, but it has ripple effects throughout the entire market. I don't know, wages, something like that. Maybe wages are, are a good example. So this is not going to help lower prices at all. It might help the specific ranchers because they'll be getting paid by producers who are able to pay them more money because they're getting subsidized by the government. But that's not going to make prices lower for consumers. I thought the problem was prices being too high for consumers. How is that going to lower prices for consumers? It's not. A single large size meat packing plant. So remember, they're putting $500 million in. This is going to fix it. A single large size meat packing plant can cost $200 million and take several months to approve and build. You're looking at like a year from now, you could have two more meat packing plants from this money. It's really great. So 500 million will not buy much additional capacity. Worst, from a Biden administration perspective, meat packers faced by intensified competition have another option besides paying more the ranchers or charging consumers less. They can squeeze their own costs by automating workers out of jobs, which will be one of the other things that will happen if they start trying to control the prices. Multiplying the number of smaller, less efficient suppliers can provide some cushions against shocks in the future. But how would that actually work? The big four came to dominate the packing industry precisely because theirs is an industry where larger size translates into lower costs and greater efficiencies. The Biden administration is talking about supporting smaller competitors. And so he also goes on to make the point that they're not going to be creating some people who are even going to be able to be as efficient as what, say, Tyson Foods is, because obviously the larger you are, uh, the more efficient you're going to be to an extent. You can get too large to where you start to go in the other direction, but you're going to be able to work at lower prices for everything. So we're nowhere near the point where they're going to be able to put in 500 million when you got other companies out here that are worth tens of billions to hundreds of billions of dollars, and you're going to be able to create companies that are going to be able to, to compete on the level of efficiency that these other companies are. Now, you could, you could compete on quality. That could definitely happen. But you're not going to be talking about lowering prices with this. That's not what's actually going to happen at all. All right, let's go on just a little bit further. So at Reason, Eric Bohm, he had some good thoughts on this. He said the whole idea is patently absurd. On his face, Saki wants Americans to believe that these shadowy meat conglomerates were simply not greedy for the past 30 years, during which time inflation has been relatively low. But now they've suddenly become very, very greedy in the past six months. So that's what we were talking about to start off with. What changed here? Because people are always greedy. These are the same corporations and they're always trying to get as much as they can out of the market. Of course they are. They wouldn't be doing a real great job if they weren't. Okay. So what actually changed? What changed are all the things that the government has done in response to this pandemic by decreasing the supply of the things that they're trying to sell. And then by increasing the demand, artificially stimulating the demand by giving people money. We have been talking about this since they first started talking about all of the stimulus. And 
you know, if you're if you're on the right out there and you're listening to the show right now, just realize that there was quite a bit of money doled out while Trump was in office as well. Okay, Republicans like doing the stimulus, Democrats like doing the stimulus. None of them really care. Okay, it's been quite a bit of money just over the last couple of years. I think it's something like 25% of our money in circulation was created in the last couple of years. It's a, it's a lot. It's a, it's a pretty big, okay? Yeah, and I'm sorry, I'm re- trying to read through some of, the, um, some of the comments here. And like what Joe said, you're against it when Trump did it too. And hopefully everyone on the right was too. You know, I'm not specifically talking to any one person or anything, but hopefully everyone has remained principled through this entire thing. That it, You know, I like, I like Trump more than Biden. I'll, I'll say that. I do. Okay. But we were very much against what they were doing to the economy when, when, this, uh, when this whole COVID thing started coming out. Uh, Eric goes on to say, by that same flawed logic, Walmart could have been far more successful over the past few decades by jacking its prices through the roof rather than by delivering lower prices than most of its competitors. That is a good that is a, a good thing to remember also. How did, how did Walmart become so successful? Maybe they did some shady stuff. I think that we could agree that they could have done some shady stuff in the background. They could have used the government to their, to their advantage, and I'm sure they do as much as they possibly can. But what you know about Walmart is, one, it sucks and it's not very fun to go to, but two, if you're in a bind and you need stuff to be cheaper, then that's a place you would go. Are they not greedy? Are they not a greedy corporation charging the highest prices they can? They've balanced this out. They want to sell more stuff. But what the argument that, say, Biden is making, probably not Biden because he has no idea what's going on right now at all. We all, we all know that. But whoever the advisors are and the people pulling the strings in the background, what they're saying is that, well, the way a corporation, a greedy corporation, makes the most money is by charging way too high prices for everything. Actually, the most the most successful corporations in the history of the world, they made a bunch of money by charging really low prices for everything, unless they had really high quality products or they were you know one of a kind, something like that. High prices by their very nature nudge consumers to buy less than they otherwise would. Inflation isn't great news for businesses that make money by selling things because you're going to sell less things when that happens. So Tyson Foods came out and spoke about this because. What's going on right now is they've been one of the biggest ones that people are pointing out because everyone hates Tyson Foods. It's just a thing that uh, that you do. I, you know, I don't I don't disagree with them wholeheartedly or anything. But uh, they came out and of course they're defending themselves, and everyone's all up in arms about that because they're making so much money. They're just making money hand over fist right now. Their profits are so. So far up, it's just ridiculous. They're not actually up that much. I'm going to put this up on the screen real quick. Hey, they're they're up. All right, I'll I'll show you what the profits look like. They're they're up. It's a it's a thing. But um, right in here, you got their profit margins around 4.5 percent somewhere in there, and now they're up to about 6.5 percent. Now we know that most people think corporations' net profit margins are like 50%, 50, 80%, something like that. They're operating on the middle to lower end of profit margins for a major corporation. I think the average was around 8%. 
And they've increased during the pandemic from about 4.5 up to 6.5. And what you could do with that information is say that their profits have increased almost 50% through the pandemic. So they are obviously gouging everyone. That is, that's what's currently happening. You can use those numbers to your advantage if you would like. So they come out and they say, as we have explained in great detail, the increase in the price of beef in particular is due to unprecedented market conditions. Multiple unprecedented market shocks, including the global pandemic and severe weather conditions, led to an unexpected and drastic drop in the meat processor's abilities to operate at full capacity. This led to an oversupply of live cattle and an undersupply of beef, while demand for beef products was at an all-time high. So, as a result, the price for cattle fell while the price for beef rose. Today, price, prices paid to cattle producers are rising. They said they also have labor shortages. The inability of the industry to adequately staff its plants has exacerbated the situation. Labor shortages are also affecting the nation's pork and poultry supply. Tyson Foods today pays its frontline workers an average of $22 per hour, including full medical benefits. We recently announced additional paid sick leave and vacation benefits starting in 2022. The company's also piloting childcare programs and providing access to vaccinations for all of its U.S. workers. They're trying to say, please don't kill us. These are the, these are the capitalists saying, please don't hang us in the streets. We really don't want us to. And then they also talk about the consolidation impact, that argument that we've just consolidated to four major suppliers. And they say that that's not true either. Uh, evidence of healthy competition can also be found by looking at historical outcomes. For example, we've seen a rise in availability in the quality of beef while the price has become more affordable over the past quarter century. Data shows that while the concentration of the industry has remained relatively constant for close to 30 years, quality has significantly, significantly improved. All right, so once again, we looked at what their net profits were. It's not like they're just raking in. Now, it's a lot of money because people have a lot of money, but also their expenses are going up at the same time. So you can look at their, their actual total dollar figure of profits, and the number has grown by quite a bit. But the actual profit margin, that's grown about 50%. But another interesting thing about this graph right here uh, that I wanted to point out, they are still pretty well below what their profit margin was back in 2018. They're not even back up to 20. It's 2021. Their profit margin is not even up to where it was in 2018 right now. But of course, the people in charge, the ones that want to control the economy, the ones that want to tax your money and spend it wherever it is that they want to spend it, they want to blame capitalism. That is what the main problem is. And they're using this figure of their profits going up by 50% and whatever the numbers are for all the other companies when they haven't even made it to what their net profit margins were back in 2018. I feel like that's kind of important. Then you also have other stuff that's going on. Like uh, here's an example from California. Do you think this maybe is affecting the industry overall when you look at uh, the overall supply? UC Davis put this out in one of their studies. They said smaller ranchers in California have limited access to slaughter and pro processing facilities. In the last 50 years, California has lost half of its meat processing plants and the remaining facilities are unable to meet demand. Now, why did they lose half of the meat processing plants 
and the ones that are remaining aren't even able to meet what the demand is. So why did those other ones close? Hmm. I think California, maybe their business environment has anything to do with that. Their taxes, their regulations, any of that stuff. They have 46 plants. They used to have closer to 100, it looks like, and they can't meet with the demand. This means that smaller ranchers must drive hundreds of miles to reach a facility or wait months due to the limited capacity at the plants that are there. Uh, the report also said a combination of federal, state, and private investments could provide a broader geographic distribution. So they're, the plants leave. They close because of what the government does. And now they're saying that the state needs to come in and make investments to opening up new plants. Isn't it interesting how that happens? That's just crazy. Man. Uh, regulatory barriers also. Complex inspection requirements and other regulatory barriers make it difficult for small and mid-scale producers to compete with big suppliers. Have we ever mentioned that before? That all these regulations, the big suppliers, they can handle this. But the smaller ones, the mid-sized ones, they can't. It's harder for them. So you're just left with the really big ones that can handle all those regulations at the end of the day. The report from UC Davis suggests California create its own meat inspection program equivalent to the federal program to serve smaller rangers. Well, I'm sure that California meat inspection program will be so much more relaxed on its regulations than what the federal program is for sure. Okay, so we've got a we got a problem right now and it's been created by the pandemic. More specifically, it's been created by the government's response to the pandemic. All right. One way or another. It has been caused by the government's response, okay? Either by shutting people down, by putting money into the economy, whatever it is. We have spent about $4.5 trillion on COVID relief. We've also printed about the same amount as well, somewhere around five. It's around five for both of those. We've put that money into the economy. And now when prices are going up, it's corporate greed. That's exactly what it is. No one ever told you that putting a whole bunch of money into the economy would end up devaluing the money and then things would get more expensive. That's just crazy talk right there. That's not what you learned at, uh, at, at UC Berkeley or Harvard or anything like that. That's not what you learned there. Uh, this is all just corporate greed, of course. So what I wanted to do, now we're going to talk a little bit solutions for the pandemic Real quick. By the way, I wanted to see if you guys, you guys watched that. Um, did you guys watch the Joe Rogan interview with uh, Dr. Peter uh, McCullough? I think is what it was. Y'all watch that? I, you know, I don't know. It's so hard to know what all to believe these days. You know, he's, he's a doctor. He seems to be very knowledgeable. Of course, you look him up and it's all about how much of a, a pandemic denier he is or whatever it's all just a bunch of fact checking about how everything he everything he's saying is a lie and so it's really impossible to look up some of this stuff without reading every single study that uh that he that he talks about that's that's really the only way that you can end up really fact checking that on your own so i want to do that i thought it was also interesting at first I don't know if you guys noticed this. Rogan tried to press him a little bit on some stuff. You know, why are they doing this? Why are they trying to keep hydroxychloroquine off? The, why were they doing this? What were their motivations? And, and in the first like 10 minutes of the episode, he's like, you know, Joe, 
I'm a doctor, so I can only talk about the medical stuff. You know, I can't speak to all the political, uh, all the political reasons that people would have done this. And an hour later, he's talking about how this was all planned and this is all a big part of a four-step process for subjugating the whole population. I just thought it was really interesting how he tried to work his way into it slowly. Maybe smart on his part, because maybe if he would have started all that, maybe I wouldn't listen to it. So, But he makes a really good point on there where we need to be focusing on treatment for COVID. There's a lot of treatments for COVID. Instead, what we get is this idea of zero COVID. Any cases are bad. We don't like any of those, even with the Omicron thing. Maybe we got one death so far out of the UK. I don't know. I don't have the updated numbers, but last I heard, there's maybe one from the UK. It doesn't matter. What matters is the amount of cases and what we've decided to move towards is this idea of zero COVID because it's a really, really perfect tool. That's why it's easy to believe a lot of the things that Dr. McCullough is saying on that, on that interview because it seems to be what it is that they're working towards. But I wanted to do this real quick and just throw out a little bit of a solution while using the government for this solution. Let's pretend like we were running the government and that we thought the government needed to do something. What would we do if we thought the government needed to do something? Now we get in there as libertarians and we just start hitting delete on a bunch of stuff. But let's pretend like we are government officials and we want to at least roll the clock back to 2019. We want the economy to get back to normal. We want the government spending to get back to whatever the normal levels are. What is it that we would do to do that? We need to do something about the effects of the pandemic. All right. And we can't decide that our goal is no COVID, that no one can ever get COVID. And if someone gets COVID, then that's too many. And so we need to shut everything down. So what we need to focus on is actually the treatments for COVID. Because if someone gets sick, but you treat them and they don't die, and they don't even have to go to the hospital, but they were sick for a week or something like that. Okay. Who cares? You know, that that's fine. So I'm not going to say that we shouldn't do the vaccines or anything. People can still take those if they want to. But as these perfect government angels that think the government needs to do something, let's talk about what it is that they could do. Well, Pfizer has this new antiviral pill that uh, they're trying to get out there right now. And it's expensive. It is $530 per course. But that course is uh, so far allegedly from their data, reducing deaths and hospitalizations by 90%. So that's pretty good right there from that pill. And 90%, I think that that's okay. So here's what we're going to do, because we got our government budget and we want to get things back to 2019. We're going to order way too many of them. We're going to buy them. Okay, we're going to use our stolen money uh, to plan this economy and our response to it so we can get back to 2019. We're going to order way too many courses. We're going to order 100 million courses of those things. Okay, that's going to cost $53 billion when we order 100 million courses of those. That is a 90% reduction in hospitalization and death. And we just ordered 100 million courses of those things. Okay, that's way too many, considering that our official numbers for people who have had COVID, those were at least people that either were taking tests for no apparent reason or they got sick enough that they had to take a test. That official number is around 50 million. So this year, we're going to order 100 million of them. <clears throat> then the monoclonal antibodies. 
Those are about 80% effectiveness at uh, reducing the hospitalization and death. Maybe better, maybe worse for different people. Now that stuff's really expensive. It's $2,000, $2,100, something like that. But we're going to get way too many of them. And we're going to, we're going to actually get 25 million of those, of those puppies out there. 25 million. Now that's, that's still way too many. Okay. We're talking about 50 million people that had COVID or were at least sick enough to take a COVID test and say that they had COVID. We're going to get 25 million of those. Now that right there is 50 billion for those two things. The vaccines, way cheaper, much, much cheaper, about $20 per dose. So about, uh, if it's a two-dose thing, 40 bucks per person. If it's a two-dose thing, you know, we'll talk about the next doses, the next years and next years, all that. We're going to order a whole bunch of those too. We'll get 150 million of those things. Okay. Now that's $6 billion. So our total from those three things we just did, and those are not all of the options either. There are other things that you can do that can treat COVID as well. But we're going to focus on these three things. We're going to buy way too many of the antiviral pill from Pfizer, way too many monoclonal antibodies treatments, and 150 million uh, courses of the vaccine. That's $109 billion in a year that we're going to spend. That is a, a lot of money, okay? We shouldn't do that. We all know that we shouldn't. It should be left up to the market to do this, and people can get those things if they need them. The government shouldn't be using our money to do this. But we're going to spend $109 billion and see what that does. Those things either have 90% efficacy, reducing deaths and hospitalizations, 80% for monoclonal antibodies, and whatever the number is for the vaccines, who even knows these days? It's probably better than not being vaccinated. I think that we can all agree that if you get COVID, that it is better to be vaccinated than to have no natural immunity and nothing like that. Probably overall better chances, okay? So we're going to guarantee the treatments to people. Doing this, we should be able to go back to normal. Doesn't mean that stuff isn't going to pop up the next year. Maybe we spend $109 billion again the next year. Maybe that's what's going to happen. But instead of doing this, remember, we've still had over 800,000 people die from COVID doing this. Instead of doing this, what we're going to do is we're going to continue to spend trillions of dollars <clears throat> making up for the effects of what the government is doing to the economy to shut it down and to try and stop people from getting COVID. All right. That is, that is what we're actually doing. Instead of spending $109 billion, which we wouldn't agree with, we don't want the government to go out there and spend that money. We spent $4.5 trillion trying to help the economy from what the response to the pandemic has done. Now, we didn't have all those drugs to start off with, okay? So what I'm saying is going forward, which one do you guys think we're going to do, though? Are we going to go towards the treatment protocols and just try to make sure that no one dies from COVID by using all of these cool treatments that are out there? Or are we going to continue harming the economy, spending trillions of dollars in money that we don't have? So when you look at the actual budgeting for these things, it's pretty easy to say that this would be way cheaper if we had to choose one of these two things, that this would be way cheaper than what we're currently doing. We spent about six and a half to seven trillion dollars last year or in the previous fiscal year, which is already over. 
Up here, you got income security. That's a, that is a whole bunch of stuff, including stimulus payments, stuff like that. So that is the, the biggest part of this. Social security, defense, Medicare, interest on the debt. Uh, we got commerce and housing credit, education, training, employment, social services, up at $300 billion. General government expenses are up at almost $300 billion. So this red line right here, that is where we would be <clears throat> if we spent that $109 billion, It would fit right in here. But the question that we want to ask if we were planning the economy, if we were planning the response to all of this stuff, is how much cheaper would all of this be? How much lower would all these numbers be if we spent that $109 billion right there, we treated COVID, we stopped people from dying from COVID, or a good amount of them anyway, what would actually what would actually happen to the budget? Look at another thing here in the budget. This is a pretty crazy line right here. This income security thing, which goes from uh, about six hundred billion up to close to one point seven trillion dollars over this time. So that includes all the stimulus payments, stuff like that. We spent six hundred billion, seven hundred billion, making up for people's lost income and making up for uh, unemployment things like that because of what we did to the economy due to COVID. But if we actually focused on treating people for COVID, well, that would be much different. It would be insanely cheaper. The treatment would be cheaper than the amount that we increased our education spending over this time, our Department of Education spending over this time. So we could revamp a bunch of schools and do all this. What if we just focused on treating people who had COVID? The economy would be able to get back to pretty much to normal. People wouldn't have to lose their jobs because they didn't get vaccinated. You could still take the vaccine and try to prevent yourself from getting COVID. All of that. And we would save trillions of dollars by making a $100 billion investment each year into treatment for COVID. Let's say more than, let's just say it's $200 billion. Let's say those numbers are way off. Actually, they should be lower because they're negotiating some pretty ridiculous prices on some of this stuff, like $530 for a course of treatment. If they're going to buy uh, 50 million or 100 million courses on that, I think we could maybe negotiate a lower price. I don't know. I feel like that could potentially happen. So anyway... There are solutions here, but it depends on what your solution is. If you're looking for this to be zero COVID, it's not going to happen. We're going to go through this forever. That's, that's what's going to happen. This will, this will never end. They'll continue spending 2 or $3 trillion more every single year than what we have right now. Every time that we have some kind of an outbreak, we'll go back to all sorts of different mandates. And it'll never stop because this is endemic now this is going to be with us forever it's going to live in the population if our goal was to stop people from dying so we could go back to normal if that were the goal and we didn't say that we cared about we didn't say that we uh, we cared about the cases we want them to be as low as possible but what we're going to do is we're going to treat everyone that gets this okay if that was our goal was to stop people from dying we could go back to normal because we've got the tools to be able to do it now if we were government planners, Joe, I will say again, the government shouldn't do any of these things. These things should exist in the market and people should be able to get their hands on them. 
when this when this happens. So then you have to ask yourself the question, so what is the goal here? What is it that people actually want to do? What did they want from this? And that's why people land on the idea that this is actually just about control. If it were about saving people's lives, there are other ways that that can be done. Um, This is feeling more and more every day like it's really just about control. And so, maybe what we could do as a compromise is try to focus more on talking about these treatments. I bet you they're not going to be perfect. I'm not even saying that they don't have any negative repercussions out there. The pill is still from Pfizer. Okay, so if you didn't trust Pfizer on the vaccine, I don't know if you're going to trust the pill, but there's one difference there. You only have to take the pill if you get COVID. And if you're someone who has a very, very, very low chance of dying from COVID, maybe you still don't have to take it. We could make sure that those things are available for the people who are uh, higher risk when this happens. What if Pfizer sponsored this podcast? Then maybe we would talk about them in a little bit. You know, they're a pretty great company, and we should be really thankful for the fact that they came out with the vaccine so quickly and the, these pills and all that, and they're just saving lives and uh, probably wouldn't do anything really wrong whatsoever at all. So anyway, the final thoughts today are, uh, we knew this was going to happen with the prices. You decrease the supply, you increase the demand, the prices are going to go up. This is not, this ain't rocket surgery over here, uh, Jen Psaki, okay? We're not just going to blame corporate greed for everything. Are people greedy? Yes, they are, but we are creating an environment that is going to foster that greed and reward it. All right, and we want to reward it when they give us really good things that are better than what they gave us before and at good prices. But when you throw all this money into the economy and you create all kinds of regulations that take out all their competition, you're going to reward that greed in a very different way. The other side is if we actually want to stop the effects of the pandemic that the government has created, then we need to be focusing more on the actual treatment of COVID. Because if we stop people from dying, then what are we really talking about here? If you enjoyed this show, tell your friends about it. Tell a family member, tell, a family member, tell the children, tell Charlie, because he wasn't here. Tell him that you enjoyed it way more than the normal shows, for sure. Charlie and Amanda are going to be de- debating tomorrow. Uh, Charlie is just going to get destroyed, by the way, I'm sure. And so if you want to hear that, then make sure that you tune in tomorrow. I will be moderating and I'm not going to be biased in one way or another. If anything, I'll probably just be laughing at Charlie's responses the whole time. So you do not want to miss that episode. Okay, if you enjoyed it, hit like, hit follow, hit all that stuff. Tell the friends, tell the children, subscribe, whatever all the other words are. If you do all those things, we'll be right back here again tomorrow. Until then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty. Liberty.